Welcome to the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast brought to you by Break of Day Capital. The show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky with Break of Day Capital. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Glenn Gonzalez of Obsidian Capital. Glenn started as a maintenance man in the industry, has over 30 years of experience, and has owned over 5,000 units. Glenn wrote a book called Maintenance Man to Millionaire, which I hear is incredibly inspirational and is highly recommended. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? You bet. Thanks, Gary. I'm excited to be here with you. I appreciate you setting this up and letting me come on your show. So yeah, I've been in, like you you mentioned my introduction, been in the business a long time. I actually started off while I was going to college as a maintenance man. My wife at the time, she was a leasing agent and said, hey, they're really behind on maintenance. Can you come down here and, you know, pick up some trash and paint some apartments and fix the stove. And I'm like, sure, I'll do that. So I did that. And funny story, it's like really the whole time I was cold and it was, I was dirty all the time. And, you know, from my perspective, the cool job was sitting in the office talking on the phone, like the manager and the leasing agent were doing. I'm, I'm like, I want that job. So I finally pulled the regional manager aside and said, Hey, I want to be a, a manager someday. And they're like, aren't you the maintenance guy? Like, yeah. They're like, well, we'll keep that in mind. I said, okay, that sounds great. But sure enough, they called me not too much longer. They had a small 60 unit apartment complex. They really couldn't afford a full time manager on it or really a full time maintenance. But they said, here's your opportunity. You could do both. You could be the maintenance guy and the and the manager. And there's a bunch of funny stories that came out of that experience when people moved in and maybe things weren't made ready properly for the move-in and they wanted to complain to the manager about how bad the make ready was. So if you want to read those stories, they are in my book. (laughs) You can go read them and it's kind of funny. But yeah, that's what got my foot into the management side. And then I was a property manager, a regional manager, director of operations, and then eventually grew to where I owned my own property management company. But along the way, I worked for Equity Residential, big REIT. I worked for Pacific Property Company uh, out of Palo Alto, California, they renamed themselves now, but I was an asset manager on the ownership side. So I was actually you know, looking at value-add deals as employee of this company, and I was actually hiring management companies at that time, which was interesting because I used to be a property manager. So I kind of learned both sides. And it was exciting times, And but really the whole time, once again... I wanted to be that guy over there. So, you know, the owners would come visit the properties that I would manage. And, 
you know, I held them up on a pedestal. It's like, oh, they're the owners. I want to be like them someday. That's where the big money was. So sure enough, not too long ago, I started buying my own apartment complexes and, and grew the portfolio. Had a couple of great opportunities to buy. I had a relationship with a guy named Ed that we were friends for over a decade. And I always told him, I want to buy you know your company from you. And he laughed at me. He's 70 years old. He's like, I'll be in this forever. I'm like, okay, well, forever's, you know, could come to an end. You know, but when he turned 80, he called me and he's like, all right, I think I'm ready to sell. I'm like, well, let's talk. And we ended up buying not only his management company, but we bought eight of his apartment complexes that he owned and closed on all eight of those. And really, that's what kind of put us on the map and got us a track record. And we were syndicating and using some private equity. We were using crowdfunding and then our own kind of investor pool, which at that time was kind of small. So that's kind of how... I evolved in a nutshell. Hopefully I didn't take too much time on the introduction, but that's kind of where I came from. I love your story because you know you don't have to have a million dollars in your pocket. You started somewhere and you started in the best place because you learned both, you know, all the sides of the business and you just led with intention. I want to get there and you put it out there and you did it. Then I want to get to that next level and you put it out there and you did it. And it's like, Boom, boom, boom. And before you know it, you own, you know, over 5,000 units, which is incredible. Yeah. And what a journey it's been. And I've learned a lot that hopefully I could share with some of your listeners along the way, both some successes and possibly even a lot of my failures, because really those are the lessons you actually learn the most from. And if you've talked to a lot of people, those are the ones that stay with you because they are painfully true and cut to your core when you make big mistakes. And I don't mind sharing those along the way as well. So maybe some of your listeners can avoid some of the mistakes I made. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. One of the things I want to jump in on is talking about four P's, people, product, price, and promotion. Let's start with people. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think one of my valuable lessons that I had, I didn't own the properties, but I was supervising them. And I had this leasing agent. She was fantastic. You know, she did everything she could. Uh, she was probably probably the best leasing consultant that I had had in my portfolio in my career. And I just wanted to do everything I could to help her be successful. And, you know, she saw that the assistant manager was making slightly more than she was, you know, and even though she was getting some commissions and all that other stuff, you know, I said, well, what do you want to do? She's like, I want to be the assistant manager. I said, all right, well, let's get you trained up and let you do that. And the interesting thing about when we promoted her, she had one of those outgoing, fun-loving personalities. That's what made her a great leasing agent. Well, on this particular property, the assistant manager was in charge of collections, serving payer vacates, you know, and knocking on the door. And I saw the delinquency in our collections was kind of struggling a little bit. So I pulled her aside when she was the assistant manager. And I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I don't want to go talk to these people about why they can't pay their rent. She's like, I feel sorry for them. I'm like, wasn't that what you wanted? You know, she's like, well, I wanted to learn it, but I don't want to do it. She's like, I was happier being a leasing agent. Right. And so along the way, when I talk about people, you've got to put the right person in the right place, doing the right things. So I looked back and financially we were performing as a property much better when she was the leasing consultant And then I had some lady that had no personality that wanted to just collect. And she was a, she was a hound dog. So we put the right people in place and all of a sudden did great, right? Did great. And I remember when I was early on in my career, 
I was having some success on my properties and my boss asked me to go and maybe look at one of my peers, one of my equals, because her property wasn't performing very well. And as I dove into it, I found out that the manager had promoted her best friend to be leasing an assistant. And, and even though that person wasn't performing very well, the best friend could not terminate her best friend. So I pulled my peer aside and I said, I'll, I'll tell you what, man, you know, they've got a lot of eyes on this property right now. And it was a 300 unit apartment complex. And, and I told the, my peer, I said, you should probably figure out how to make some adjustments because if you don't, they're going to replace you and your best friend. And then both of you are going to find yourself without a job. And she took that to heart and actually transferred that employee to another whole property so that she didn't get laid off, but she got transferred and then hired somebody that was much more effective underneath this manager. And that property started performing very, very well. Right. So you think about the people, the right person in the right place, but if you're too close to the situation, you can't see it. And then, so it's a tricky balance really. So there's lots of stories that we tell about the right people in the right place doing the right things, you know? So what I really like is you asked the questions. It wasn't like, okay, you're not performing, you know, we're going to write you up this and that. It's like, seek to understand and then fix the situation. And you were able to do that because you, you asked the right questions. And I, and I think that's a really good lesson for, for people out there. If you don't ask the questions, you're not going to be able to figure out a solution. Yep. It's true. That's right. And you got to listen to them. And if you really want to know who knows absolutely everything about the apartment community, the ins and out, go talk to the maintenance guy. You know I mean? Generally speaking, the owners, the regionals and everybody, when they give visit a property, first thing they do is stand with the property manager and start asking about the financials or marketing or whatever. But really, you know, who knows everything is that maintenance guy. They're inside every unit. They talk to every resident. They're not a threat. They're not going to kick them out or foreclose on them. They know everything. And so really your maintenance guys are a wealth of knowledge. So for your listeners, if, if they haven't gone and spent a lot of time one-on-one with the maintenance guys, they probably ought to. Yeah, I should absolutely. call them maintenance people, maintenance persons, whatever, <laughs> whatever the political yeah. thing is these days. Right. So. right. All right. Let's talk about the second P products. Yeah. Product. Well, we all know that there's actually a price and product are, are directly tied to each other, right? And, you know, we'll talk about pricing on the uh, apartment communities, the units versus maybe the price of the apartment community as a whole. But, you know, the product, it's just like anything. I'll tell you one story. I was a regional manager and I had my boss and my boss's boss. I worked for Equity Residential. So it was a big REIT, right? So all the big wigs were coming to visit my property. And, and, financially they were performing pretty well, you know, but we got to touring the property and the product and the curb appeal. And some of the units were not made ready very well. And some of the breezeways were really dirty. Well, as a result of all that, I got written up by my boss. I'm like, why are you writing me up? I don't work there. I'm not the boots on the ground. I mean, shouldn't be writing up the maintenance supervisor. And they're like, you know what, Glenn, you're missing the whole point. And I'm like, well, what's your point? You know? And they're like, you set the standard for these products. If, if they're not made ready properly or the, or the curb appeal doesn't really show that well, you should have maybe written up the manager or the maintenance guy or whatever months ago. You know, and here we are. Look at normal operations. Where's your standards? So they wrote me up for having low standards. 
So, you know, it all rolls downhill, right? So then I wrote up the manager and she wrote the maintenance guy and we all got, got the same message, which was, it's got to look good, right? I mean, some people realize that we could just put a price tag, going back to price on an apartment community, call it a thousand bucks. But if your neighbors across the street look better than yours, then they're going to get the rents before you do. It gets tricky, Gary, when we start talking a little bit about how much we should improve the product versus how much can we charge. And that is a very, very analysis-driven gut reaction and all-in conversation. You can have a whole podcast just on how to price something properly versus the product, you know, because you can over-improve. You know, we looked at some property today and this product rents for, you know, I think eight, $900 a month, but they put granite countertops in there, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's an expensive countertop relative to, to that, you know, that price point. So in my opinion, that particular owner was over improving in some areas and some might argue, well, that's because they last longer, they last forever, which is true, right? So there's always opinions on this pricing and the product and what it's supposed to look like and stuff. So I would suggest that for your listeners, I mean, talk to people that have renovated a lot of units or improved them or built them and really dial in on what is your actual return on your investment. And we do that with every line item, pretty much how, how much will people pay for, you know, black appliances versus stainless steel. And if there's no difference and nobody's going to pay the difference because they don't care in that particular product, then don't pay the extra for stainless steel, just get black appliances or that, what do they call it? Faux stainless, you know? So things of that nature. So hopefully I've, I've addressed that with you, uh, but I don't know if there was some more that you'd like to cover. Yeah, I'm curious. So when you're comparing, you know, black versus stainless steel or even white, like how do you figure out how each, you know, your return on investment? Yeah, that's good. You know, if you take and you're like, oh, I can buy a set of appliances and I'm just going to pluck a number from the air, but call it, you know, $1,500, right? For this set of appliance and we're going to upgrade, you know, and you want to get a 20% return on your, your money, you're going to want to collect at least $300 more in rent to, you know, to justify that. And that's over a year. So really you're talking about, you know, maybe 25 bucks or whatever it is. I don't know. I have to do some math on that, but yeah, 25 bucks is what you need to get more in rent to justify that. And everybody's got a different threshold. That could be a 25% return on money, 30% return on your money. You know, sometimes you're going to look at the payback period. Maybe you want that all paid back in a three-year period or four-year period. There's all kinds of different variations that you're going to run on your analysis. You know, and maybe it's not even a cash-on-cash return on your money. Maybe it's all driven by cap rate and you're going to increase the value. Right. So I know right now we're buying washer and dryers to a property that they have connections, but they don't have any washer dryers in them when we bought them. So we talked to the manager and said, Hey, you know, if we buy a set of washer and dryers, how much could you rent them for? And she did a test. We, we bought 10 sets and I think she was getting, I think $65 more per month for these washer and dryers. Right. So over a one year, that's $780. Well, we're buying them for 900 bucks. I mean, do the math on that, you know? I mean, it's like, gosh, like an 80% return on your money. So we've bought, I think, 100 of them, 100 sets of washer and dryers. And we committed to that. So actually, the people we buy them from, you know, we says, we want to commit to 100 
will you give us a discount if we buy 100 sets of brand new washer dryers? And they're like, yeah, we will. So our costs went down. But the cool thing is, Gary, is they're storing them for us. We get them at 10 at a time. So every time the manager rents them, deliver them for free. They're like, if you buy this many, we'll deliver them for free. I'm like, so you'll house them. You won't charge us for us until we need them. And you'll deliver them for us? Like, yeah. Like, that's a great deal. So anyway, it worked on that particular property. But we looked at, you know, for your listeners, they probably know this, but you take your annual cash flow and you divide it by what you paid for it, the investment. So the annual cash flow, which is usually if it's monthly times 12, and then that'll give you a percentage of return. And in that washer and dryer one, it was like close to 87%. So why not do it? That's Absolutely. a good return. All right. Third P, price. I know we kind of got into it a little bit earlier, but anything else you wanted to add on price? Yeah. You know, I'm going to step back from the monthly rents and I'm going to talk about the price of the apartment communities. Every area is, is very regional. So is your listening base nationwide? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we have stuff in Kentucky. We have stuff in Texas. We have stuff in Utah. But let me talk about like the Austin Metroplex for, for a moment because we're we're here. We got to a point where people were paying three, two, three, three and a half cap rates for property in Austin area. Now, keep in mind, Tesla's moving here. Dell is expanding. Apple's moving here. There's a lot going on in Austin, but it's just driving the values high and the rents are going up double digits. So I was bidding on properties that I was paying 170, 180 a door for 1985, 1990 product, and then renovating it to do the rent. Well, due to some relationships, Gary, I was able to go buy some dirt and get it zoned multifamily and build it from the ground up. And I was paying, you know, 157, 160,000 a door to build brand new product. And other people were paying more than that and renovating it. So I'm like, why don't we just build the darn things? Right. So my basis. So I guess my point is you have to look at your basis on all your deals going in post renovation to find out what you're in it to see if what you're paying for it is going to give a fair return. The prices that people have paid in the last year, year and a half in this area, if they got stuff on a bridge loan, it's going to be very difficult for them to refinance out of that bridge loan into a permanent, you know, uh, financing with Fannie or Freddie due to this higher interest rates. It's a tricky spot to be in today, in today's market. So that pricing discussion in my office anyway, with Mike and I, he's my business partner and Vivian all, and we have John James. He's got two first names, John James. We call him JJ. He does all of our analysis work and he's right on, but boy, it's a tricky conversation every single day on how to price these things accordingly with today's cap rate, today's interest rate. Interest rates are up here, but cap rates are still kind of low and they're starting to climb a little bit, but they haven't hit the market yet. So you see a lot of banks, a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines waiting for cap rates to adjust where interest rates have been announced. And, and that analysis is there's still a little disconnect between the two, in my opinion. So absolutely. We're seeing the same thing. Dude, I could ramble on and on, man. Gary, you gotta <laughs> you ask me. <laughs> right. All right. The last key, yeah. uh, promotion. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. So, you know, I mean, in today's world, okay, let me just back up. We just finished building one of those ground up deals here in Austin area. And so we're looking at how do we get the word out there? And at my age, it's amazing to have this conversation about 
gosh, you know, if we're either tweeting some of the stuff or a Facebook page or, you know, Instagram and TikTok and all those other things that's associated with, you know, and we, we listed this particular one with apartments.com to get that out there to promote your product is all about those algorithms, you know, and to be honest with you, there's people that understand it much better than I do. And the cost is coming way down. So in my opinion, I let the experts be the experts. I'll bring in some people and help me promote this brand new lease up that we're doing because there's there's lots of experts that have figured that out. And if I try and do it myself, I think I'll be disappointed, right? So that that promotion, getting the word out there is, is critical. But I would say that you talk to a couple of third parties that really do it all day long and you'll have more success on that. Nice. That's, that's really good advice. I would love to keep talking further. This is typically we focus on just like one major topic, you know, and the four P's, but maybe we'll get you on another time soon and just we'll keep talking, you know, asset management. And Glenn, how can listeners find out more about you and your company? Oh, great. Thanks, Gary. So, you know, we're at obsidiancapitalco.com. So it sounds kind of weird, but it's Obsidian Capital AL with the CO behind it.com. And my email is Glenn with two N's at obsidiancapitalco.com. And I don't mind chatting with folks. I don't mind answering any questions. And Gary, if you ever wanted to come up with a list of questions that your listeners have come up with, let's do a one of those, a question and answer specifically. And we can have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll do that. Well, thank you again so much, Glenn. Love chatting with you. And uh, looking forward to doing it again. And this is Gary Lipsky signing off. I'll be back next week with another informative episode on the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website, breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and or fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.